0: Well, open your Bibles to John chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 5 here in just a a bit. This spring we're studying the seven miracles that John has recorded in his gospel. Now, Jesus performed hundreds, maybe thousands of miracles, but John hand-selected seven miracles and he placed these in his gospel. And he even told us why later on. He told us that he put these miracles in the gospel of John so that by reading them and hearing about Jesus, we might believe and be redeemed. And so I'm so thankful these seven miracles are recorded in John's Gospel. Today we're uh, looking at one of the most familiar of the miracles of Jesus. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's found in all four of the Gospels, so this is a big deal, all right? This is a major miracle that Jesus performed, and let me read it to you. John chapter 6 Beginning in verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples... And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up all the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign... ...that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king... ...he departed again to the mountain alone by himself. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless not only the reading of your word... ...but also help me to speak it, Lord. And as I try to speak it on the outside, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak it into our hearts... Help us to realize and know this morning from this mighty miracle that you performed that when we are in over our heads, you're not. And that when we have an impossible situation, dear Lord, you can work it out. I pray that you would do that in our lives today, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so how many of you have ever been in over your head? You kind of look like that guy right there, you know, sweating bullets. You're in over your head. Let me tell you a story. When I was in over my head, uh, it's right now. <laughs> and- a- Angie and I decided we need new flooring in the house, and, and so one thing leads to another thing. So right now, everything is out of our house. The only thing that's in there is a mattress in our bedroom, a mattress in Zane's room. All the furniture is out in the garage. Uh, everything's been stripped out. Uh, everything's been painted. New flooring's coming in, and we're, we're living in a disaster zone, all right? All right. Uh, Major remodeling going on, but it it, it reminded me of when I was young and uh, one of my first jobs. Now, my dad, who's sitting right here, is a great man, but my dad did not believe in child labor laws when when my sister and I were growing up. And uh, he taught us from a very young age, if you're going to have anything, you're going to work for it. So when I was 11 years old and my sister was 13 years old, we got our first job. It was a paper route out in the country in Midland, Texas. Every day we would fold papers, we would throw papers, we would go door to door once a month and collect for the papers. I mean, we, we were paper boy and paper girl, you know? I mean, it's what we did. And uh, we had to work. My parents made us buy our own food. Not really. It didn't go that bad. But I worked ever since I was 11 years old. A few years later, when we were living in Lubbock, Texas, I got a job at a, a grocery store. It's kind of a warehouse grocery store where you would go in and, and pick your food off the counter, and, and uh, it, it wasn't priced. You'd have to go and write the price down, all that kind of stuff. I was a stock boy. Unloaded trucks and stocked the shelves. Man, I never worked so hard in my life. Yeah. And finally, I got tired of that, and still, when I was 15 years old, I went to... Hester True Value Hardware Store filled out an application and uh, became an employee at the uh, old hardware store on 34th Street in Lubbock, Texas. The owner was Mr. and Ms. Hester. They were old people back then, but they ran this really cool little hardware store where you could go in and buy anything you needed to fix anything that was broken in your house. And I was a 15-year-old salesman, all right? And uh, through the months that, uh, that came after that, I learned what each of these little parts and pieces were. And, and when someone would come in with a leaky faucet or a broken toilet or a broken window or whatever needed to be done at their house, I could not only, David, sell them the part to fix what was broken, I could tell them how to fix it. Mind you, I had never done any of this in my life, all right? <laughs> But by listening and learning, I could sell the part and tell the people how to fix it. Well, I worked there for about two years. And uh, when I was 17 years old, a good friend who worked at the store, Robert Ballew, who was 10 years older than me, 27. One Saturday afternoon, in the back of the hardware store, we we made a, a, a determination that, you know, the real money is not working in a hardware store. The real money is out in the home repair business fixing things broken in people's house so we decided we were going to quit working in the hardware store and start our own business of fixing things I mean we could tell people how to do it surely we could do it and so the next Saturday we went into Mr. Hester's office Uh, again he was an old man working at his desk Uh, he looked up and said what do you boys want we came in, we told him what we were going to do, and he never looked up until the very end, and he said to us, good luck, boys, you're going to need it. <laughs> well, we couldn't quite understand what he meant by that. So uh, Anyway, we left. The next week, we, uh, we went and, and uh, had business cards printed up, Greater Lubbock Home Repair, Robert Ballou, Will Harmon. We went and bought a 1970 Ford Econoline white van, had gold shag carpet glued to the ceiling it was nice man Uh, we already had a bunch of tools we bought more tools and then we embarked on our new corporation I was I was between my junior and senior year and I owned my own business (laughs) oh we were high rolling man well, come to find out, we didn't know nearly as much as what we thought we knew. And I tell you, we got into some messes. I could spend all morning telling you about jobs that we flubbed up and crazy things that we did. But about three or four months into it, we, we hadn't had work for two or three days. And Robert's mother was uh, worried about her son, <laughs> and she should have been. He was 27 years old, had no future ahead of him. But anyway, she she had a... She had a friend who needed some remodeling done in her house, and so she called us, and uh, we had a, a, we called them a beeper back then, a pager, you know, and the little beeper went off, and, and so we called the lady, she wanted an estimate given, so we went to her house, I had a calculator, Robert had a pad and pencil, we walked through her home, she wanted a makeover, you know, multiple room fix I mean gutting her house and redoing everything and and so we took all these notes and we went back out to the van that we affectionately named Melvin all right sitting in Melvin with the gold shag carpet over our head and and I looked at Robert and said what do you think dude can we do this he said well I've I've never done some of this how about you I said no I haven't either but you know I guess we can you know we needed the money And so we figured out what we thought it would cost and uh, went back up to the lady's door and and handed her our proposal. And she looked at it and said, you're hired. You're by far the cheapest bid I've gotten. In fact, you're twice as less as most of them. Oh, my lens. You know, for the next two months, I can't tell you the endless nightmares I had of the Better Business Bureau knocking on my mom and dad's door, you know, looking for me. One day, Robert and I were hanging sheetrock in in the lady's ceiling, and we're both up on ladders. And I'm I'm 17 years old. I'm griping and complaining, and Robert's mild-mannered, nicest guy you'd ever meet. He finally looked at me and said, Willie, if you don't shut up, I'm going to punch you in the nose, man. (laughs) Almost lost our friendship. Not long after that, we quit the business. I'm here to tell you, I was in over my head. How many of you have ever been there? In over your head. Raise your hand. Come on. Sure you have. Some of you are there today. It's when you feel like you're in over your head and you don't know what to do. Maybe it's a tough marriage you're in. It's a new job or a mountain of debt or a difficult decision that you need to make. We've all been there, including the disciples of Jesus. In fact, in this passage that we just read, it tells us of a situation in which there was a human need with absolutely no human solution. Jesus and his disciples are surrounded by crowds of thousands of people. It's nearing evening and because they are in a remote area, there is no way to find food for these people to eat. And it literally throws these disciples into a panic. In fact, the other gospel writers tell us that the disciples approached Jesus and said to Jesus, it's getting late. You need to send these people away so that they can find some food. But Jesus shocks them. In Matthew's account of this story, chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, I want you to see that this situation didn't just happen. It may look like an out-of-control mob situation, but Jesus knew exactly what He was doing. Jesus is at the zenith of His popularity. Crowds of people press against Him everywhere He goes. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 1, it tells us that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee... And then in verse 2 it tells us a great crowd ran around the shore just because they wanted to see more miracles that Jesus could perform. So in verse 3 it says that Jesus took his disciples up the side of this mountain and set them down. But they couldn't get away from the crowds because the crowds followed them. And Jesus orchestrated all of this. He pulled the disciples and the crowds into a place where they would see a real problem, a real need that they could not solve on their own. But Jesus would use this problem as a platform to demonstrate his awesome power. The disciples were in over their heads, but Jesus wasn't. Hmm. So what do we do when we face situations in life When we are in over our heads. Well, I want to show you two things from this story. First of all, when you're in over your head, look at how God is testing you. Look at how God is testing you. God's great purpose in your life is to shape you and mold you and form you into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's doing that through everything you go through in life. He's doing that in the good times and in the bad times. When you feel like you're in control and when you feel like you're in over your head, God is using it to form you and shape you into Jesus. The disciples didn't know it, but Jesus had prepared a little pop quiz for them. How many of y'all like pop quizzes? Man, I hate them. You know what? Almost every day, God's going to give you a pop quiz A test. Here's the cool thing about God. If you flunk it, you get to take it over. Okay? And over and over and over again until you pass it. Here it is in verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that all these people may eat? Now, Jesus is not asking a question because he didn't know what to do. In fact, in verse 6 it says, He did this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. You see, Jesus had planned this out very carefully. He wanted the full weight of this human problem to rest directly on the shoulders of Philip and the other apostles. These guys had been with Jesus for now two years. They had heard Jesus teach them lessons through his lips. They had seen the mighty power of God demonstrated time and again. Now it's time for a test. Had they really been listening? Had they really been developing their faith? Were they really trusting in Jesus? Friend, here's what I find out. Sometimes God is going to throw you into into the creek just to see if you can swim Or if you sink, you been there. Well, watch this little video clip with me. It's one of my favorite uh, westerns. It's just John Wayne. Where's your mother? Where's your your mother? Where see where the sunny, where the sunny, where the sun, see, where the sun sh- here, back the, the back of in, in, in you, you can get the big always, oh, always, always face the always face always face the always the That is if you want money to pay money to the money to pay Why not? to not? the not to pay Army, like to Everybody, Everybody Every Just, reach <out>. <JJonak Sound> Just reach out the the door. Not too bad. Well, not bad. Too Where I am. 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 I am. go I am. Where I am. go Isn't that great? Just reach out and grab you a handful of water and drag it back to you. Man, isn't that great? Little Johnny learned how to swim. How'd Philip do? Yeah, how did Philip do? Did he swim or did he sink? Well, Phil, Philip didn't do so well. Look at verse 7. Philip answered him: 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Philip is the calculator. In fact, if he had a pocket calculator, I'm sure he, he pulled it out and he did the math. We, we got 5,000 5, men plus women plus kids. We got 200 denarii worth of food. That, there's just no way we can do that. In fact, the little screen on his pocket calculator probably said impossible because it was an impossible situation. I want, Has that ever happened to you? You ever had an impossible situation in your life? Maybe right now you are facing an impossible situation. You are faced with a predicament that has impossible written all over it. Now, I know Philip is a good guy, but all Philip could see was the human problem. He hasn't learned to factor in the power of God. But there is another disciple who did a little bit better. We read about him in verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a little lad over here with five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Now, Andrew gets a little closer to the solution, but he can still only see the human possibilities. I would say Andrew's kind of a little thinker, because that's the words that he uses. The word for lad here literally means a little boy, and that's what the kid was. He was a little kid. Today, he would be back in Brother Johnny's kids' church. Here's just a little bitty boy, and what has he got? Well, he's got five small barley loaves, five little loaves of bread. Now, as a kid, I tried to imagine in my head little bitty mini loaves, but that's really not what this was. It's more like five stale crackers. Okay? That's all he had plus two small fish, little fish, not catfish, not bass. These are two little fish, about the size of minnows (laughs) or maybe sardines. Now, how far is this going to go in feeding 5,000 plus people? Here's the deal. Neither Philip nor Andrew factored in the reality that Almighty God in the flesh was sitting right in front of them. Who had the power to do something awesome and amazing? Church, here's the lesson. We don't grow in our faith until our faith is stretched. We don't develop in our faith until that faith is put under stress, until it is tested, until we are convinced that we are in way over our heads and we can't fix this problem on our own. We need divine intervention. That's when our faith begins to grow. In fact, the Bible says in James chapter 1, 2, and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The miracle that Jesus performs here takes the human need and turns it into a platform For God to demonstrate his almighty power. Things start to change when Jesus takes over the situation. Now mark that down in your own life. Things will change when Jesus gets in control. He tells the disciples to make the people sit down on the grass. The Bible tells us there are 5,000 men. Not including the women and the kids. And we know there's at least one little boy there. This may have been a crowd of 10 to 12, maybe even 15,000 people. And what does Jesus have? Five stale crackers and two minnows. (laughs) But the cool thing is what Jesus did. The Bible tells us he took these five barley loaves and he prayed over them. He gave thanks over them. You see, church, you can give thanks when all you got is a little In fact, that's when we need to be giving thanks. When all we have is a little. Knowing that God can take the little that we have and do something huge with it. He not only did that with the five barley loaves, he did it with the two small fish. Then he has the disciples begin to distribute the bread and the fish throughout the crowd. And as it was passed from one person to another, as they passed the basket... With the bread and the fish in it, a miracle occurred. And here is the miracle. It just kept multiplying. It kept growing. And after all of it was distributed, there was a huge amount left over. And there is absolutely no explanation as to how this happened, except it was a miracle from God. Jesus performed a miracle. And you know what the cool thing is? The great thing is that God allows us to be put in situations that are way over our head. We have no idea what to do, how to fix the problem. We can't see the, the answer because we don't even know the question. We don't know what to do without His help. And then watch God intervene and do something that is awesome. Do something that is amazing, that strengthens our faith. And causes us to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. So when you're in over your head, you need to look and see how God is testing you. Because if you don't pass the test, you you get to take it again, All right. So when we're in over our head, number two, look for what God is teaching you. If you are faithful to trust God in your trials, you'll be able to look back one day and realize... That God taught you some things about Himself when you were going through those rough days. Now I've, I've been over my head, uh, in over my head a lot of times. Uh, uh, right after I finished Hillsdale, I went to seminary. Boy, I was I was I was in over my head at seminary. But I, I made it through four years of seminary, and then I graduated. So I had a Hillsdale degree. I had a seminary degree, dude. I thought I was well prepared. I could go out and pastor any church. I knew I was ready. And then I got a call from Oak Park Church in Pine Bluff. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I'll never forget the day Angie and I pulled into the church parking lot there at Oak Park. uh, Long man, years ago, and and uh, uh, we were moving in. Uh, The parsonage was just right behind the uh, the church. In fact, it was connected to the parking lot of the of the church. I could never get away. I tell you what. Anyway, that's another story. But we pulled in and. there was the, uh, the, the chairman of the trustee board who had basically been running the church in the absence of a pastor. And when he saw Angie and I pull in, this is what he did. He, David Holland just threw up his hands. And I could read his lips. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And then I'm sure he mumbled under his breath, there's the idiot that's going to take over this mess. Man, I was in way over my head. I was in way over my head. I thought I was prepared by going to Hillsdale and going to Southwestern Seminary. But I'm here to tell you, I didn't have a clue sometimes what I was doing. And the problems and messes I went through, God taught me more through trusting Him than I would have ever learned in seminary or at Bible college. If you haven't been there, man, you need to go there. When God allows you in those situations, He teaches you something about Himself that you'll always remember. In fact, He did it in this story. God is teaching you when you're in over your head about who He is. He teaches us about His identity. Now, there are really two groups of people in this story. There are the disciples who followed Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They trusted in Jesus. And even though their faith was weak, it was growing. But there was another group of people here and it calls them the multitude, the the crowds of people. They they were just curious onlookers because they saw Jesus perform all of these miracles and, and they were curious about that and it was entertaining to them. And so they would find Jesus just to see the show, man. It's a dog and pony show, man. Show us more miracles, Jesus. And they were awed by this miracle. In fact, it says in verse 14, Then those men, that is, in the crowd, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived what they were about to do, and that is to take him by force and to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, I guess the question we ask is, why wouldn't Jesus want the people to applaud him? Why didn't Jesus feed off of that applause? Why didn't he work that crowd? Why didn't Jesus want these people to make him their king? Well, I think the reason is apparent. It's because he was not the kind of prophet they expected, nor was he going to be the kind of king that they wanted. So Jesus was teaching his disciples something about himself here. You see, the typical Jew of Jesus' day was looking for this conquering Messiah who would come and perform these great miracles and lead the nation of Israel into a political revolt and overthrow their oppressors, which were the Romans. But that was not the kind of Messiah Jesus came to be. Jesus didn't come to bring God's kingdom on earth by overthrowing other nations. Jesus came... To capture the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And to change people one person at a time. And that is not the kind of king this crowd was looking for. You know, there's a lot of identity theft going on today. Has anybody been a victim of identity theft? Man, it's it's everywhere. But you know what? Jesus is the same. There's a lot of identity theft happening when it comes to Jesus. A lot of people get excited about Jesus so long as they can make him into what they want him to be. Not necessarily the Jesus of the Bible, but the Jesus that they want. And so there are many people that want a prosperity Jesus. (laughs) Keep it coming, Jesus. There are others who are looking for a social activist Jesus or an entrepreneur Jesus or a cool Jesus or a manly Jesus or a republican Jesus or a democratic Jesus. The list goes on and on and on. But Jesus is not going to allow his identity to be stolen like that. He is the son of man who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, That's why he walked away from the crowds that day. So church, listen, when you're in over your head, look for how God is revealing himself to you and what he's teaching you about himself, that he really is who he says he is and he really can do what he came to do, and that is to change lives one person at a time. Jesus was also teaching them something about his authority, his power. We're going to see more of this next week, but Jesus' power extends into every realm of this universe. Just like he turned water into wine and death into life and sickness into health, Jesus takes a little bit of food and turns it into a whole lot of food. (laughs) Well, that teaches us a huge lesson right there about his authority and his power. And here's the lesson. Little becomes much in the hands of our Lord. Our little can become a whole lot when we turn it over to Jesus. Never underestimate what God can do through the little bit that you have. Because whatever is transferred to Jesus is going to be transformed by Jesus. We're talking about just a little kid. I don't know, five, six, seven years old. What would he have? Five stale crackers and two minnows. Not a lot. But when he gave that little bit to Jesus, Jesus fed probably 12,000 people. That is amazing. But Jesus was also teaching them something about his sufficiency. I don't think it's any coincidence that John describes the miracle in terms as he did. When the bread was distributed, the people had, verse 11b, as much as they wanted. They were able to go back for seconds or thirds, and it never ran out. And then verse 12 says, So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Did you get it? Twelve baskets. That's interesting. How many disciples were there at that time? Twelve. You got it. When everybody had had their fill, there was still enough to fill the disciples' pouches to overflowing. What Jesus was saying to them was this. You know, I took care of the huge crowd, but you don't worry. I am going to take care of you because you're mine. I'll give you more than enough. That's a big deal, man. Here's the bigger deal. Jesus works in our lives to bring us to the place where we don't just trust him to bring us bread. We trust him to be our bread. Did you get that? There's a little play on words here because several verses later in verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That is amazing. He's not talking about the bread like you're going to go eat at lunch with your pot roast. You eat that bread. Four hours later, you're hungry again. You need more bread. He's talking in spiritual terms here. Jesus is more than enough spiritually for you. He is the bread of life. When you receive Jesus, when you consume Jesus, He's all you need. Through Him you'll never go hungry again. Church, listen to me. You never know that Jesus is all you need until you're in the place where Jesus is all you have. Then you realize He's all you need. And when you're in over your head... He isn't. That's cool. So you can call out to him today. I'm going to ask that you bow your head and close your eyes. Some of you need to do that right now. You're here today and you're lost. You don't have Jesus in your heart. You've never allowed him to transform and change your life. He can do it today. He he can perform a miracle in your life. You can walk out of here today with a new heart. Having consumed the bread of life, you'll never be spiritually hungry again. So come, receive Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're just in over your head, man. You don't know what to do. You came here with a long list of problems that you have in your life. Maybe it is a tough marriage or a new job or a mountain of debt or some difficult decision you've got to make. Understand this, Jesus has the answer. You may be in over your head, but he's not. So come to him today. He'll lead you and guide you, give you direction. Hey, one more thing. Maybe you're here today and you're just like this little lad, this little boy. You don't think you got a lot, but you do have a little. Why don't you come today and just give God your little, whatever it is, and watch him use it to do great things. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the people who are here. Help us to respond in faith. Help us to come and pray at the altar and to give you our problems and to watch you work in our life and bring about a solution. We ask that your name be honored and glorified and praised today as we come to this altar and pray to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as the praise team sings? Why don't you come?